And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and less to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. Eagle Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Jack Webb stars as private investigator Jeff Regan from 1948. Then Walter Winchell joins Jack Benny and all his gang on the first half of the Jack Benny program. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa... The biggest dimples on the planet, Wolf. How are you? I'm great. My dimples are are shining. Yes, today, they barely. are. They're very creviced. Oh, thank is that a you. word? I wonder, creviced. It is probably. Sounds, it sounds good. If, if you not, say it. I just added one to the. It's a Carlism. Uh, yeah, exactly. What's happening in the world of Hollywood, Lisa? Well, People Magazine has named the world's most beautiful woman. Oh, really? You heard about that? My mother. Wouldn't that have been nice? Yeah. No, not her. But do you uh-huh. know who it is? Who? Um, somebody that you really like. I I'll like I'll give you her. a clue. Mm-hmm. She's 47. 47? Yes, the second oldest to win this title. Um... And you like her. Penelope Cruz. No. <laughs> I know you like her, though. Um, Sharon Stone. No, I like her as well. But okay. it's Jennifer Aniston. Oh, Jennifer Aniston, So yeah. this is the second time she's received this accolade. The first time she got it in 2004. And who gave her this award? People Magazine. Oh, people, so she's yeah. on the cover. Okay. A last year's winner was the oldest to win. Uh-huh. She was 50. Betty White. Do you remember who that No, 50. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was Sandra Bullock. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So Aniston, uh, Jennifer Aniston is in three movies coming out this year. Wow. Isn't that something? So she's got no problem working. Yeah. A Mother's Day, The Yellow Birds, and office Christmas party, mm-hmm. and um, she says she's very, very flattered, and the key is what's inside. Yeah. So, you know, it's not only physical appearances, she's beautiful on the inside. Yeah, well, she seems like she is, definitely. Yes, she does, and her runner-up was... Um, Lisa Wolf? Yes. You finally got one. There right. we Lisa go. Lisa Wolf and Reese Witherspoon. We Reese sort of Witherspoon. tied for a second. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Carl. All right. Are we ready for our first classic radio show? Yes. All right. It's Jeff Regan, investigator. He was one of three detectives that Jack Webb portrayed on radio before hitting it big as Sergeant Joe Friday on Dragnet. The other two were Pat Novak and Johnny Madero. The series debuted on CBS July 10, 1948, and Webb played Jeff Regan, tough private eye working for a detective agency run by Anthony J. Lyon, played by Wilms Herbert. Lyon ran the International Detective Bureau, a small private investigations firm in downtown Los Angeles with often oversized ambitions. Regan handled rough assignments from Lyon, 
with whom he was not always on good terms, and Webb played Regan as a tough, tenacious detective with a dry sense of humor. Now, Webb left the series in December of 1948, and it ended, but it was resurrected in October of 1949 with an entirely new cast. Frank Graham starred as Regan, later played by Paul Dubois, with Frank Nelson as Anthony J. Lyon, and this version ran until 1950. But we do have a Jack Webb version of Jeff Regan Investigator from December 11, 1948, This is called The Gambler and His Lady. Let's tune this in. Jack Webb as Jeff Regan, Investigator. My name's Regan. I get ten a day in expenses from a detective bureau run by a guy named Anthony J. Lyon. They call me The Lion's Eye. With Jack Webb as Jeff Regan, The Lion's Eye, stand by for hard-boiled action and mystery and thrilling adventure in tonight's story of The Gambler and His Lady. You find it in Hollywood, on Taft Avenue. Four-story apartment building, the color of a rainy afternoon. They call it the Havenwood. It sags in the middle like a tired Frankfurter. That's where I live. Apartment 3K. Two rooms with a pull-down bed and a pair of windows that stick when it's hot. Oh, the view isn't much. Six strands of telephone wire and the head of a shaved-off palm tree. Beyond is the city, L.A., spread out on the map like a raw egg with a broken yolk. Oh, the town's all right, I guess, if you can afford the sedatives. The lion likes it. He set himself up as a receiving clerk for trouble, and I worked for him. It was about 11.15 Tuesday night when my phone began making itself felt. Turned out to be the lion breathing hard. It figured he was running his fingers over a greenback. Sound of a brand new $50 bill. Send me a record. What's the matter? You sound like you're flat on your back. How do you sleep? Who's sleeping? I'm working, and that's what you're going to be doing. Try me tomorrow. Throw out some clothes. You're going down to Venice Boulevard to see a lady. She's got daughter trouble. Well, marry her off. She didn't pay us 50 bucks for that. The problem goes deeper. How much? She'll tell you. I want it from you. I don't know it all for sure. Don't you ever check into things? I do the general work. You get the details. Yeah, you drag a wet rag over the 15. If the ink stays on, we got a client. That's insulting. How would you know? Regan, you don't want to keep a lady waiting. Now get a move on. Give me the name. This is Eleanor Bascom, Pierpont Hotel. Yeah? And phone me after you talk to her. What for? I want to be sure it's legit. Do you care? Uh, better make that call to me tomorrow after 10. I'm sort of going to be tied up till then. Doing what? Sleeping. Well, I put on some clothes, picked up my car, and moved out to Venice Boulevard. The good humor men were all gone, and I had the street to myself. Twenty minutes later, I came to a stop beside a garbage can near San Pedro. Behind it stood the Pierpont Hotel two-decked pile of wood left over from the sinking of the Spanish Armada. There was a black and dirty white sign outside said rooms 50 cents, weekly and monthly rates. The names Eleanor and Georgia Bascom showed in the mailbox and gave a room 210. I climbed a flight of stairs and walked down a hall that looked like a passageway in a pyramid. It was dark and it took my cigarette lighter to turn up the numbers. 210 finally showed and I rapped on the door. A bush of black and gray hair pulled it open. It was wearing a red kimono and an impatient look, like a tax collector in January. She was pushing 50 and looked tired. Yes? I'm Regan, international detective. 
Oh, yes, the lions. I've been waiting for you. Come in. I'm Mrs. Bascom. Eleanor or Georgia? Georgia's my daughter. Yeah. I-, I want to apologize for getting you out here this time of night, Mr. Regan, but it's urgent. The lion said that the girl's the problem, huh? Yes. How old is she? Twenty-two. Who's the man? How'd you know there was a man? Well, what other kind of trouble would she go after? She's a good girl, Mr. Regan. She always has been. Until now. Huh? That's what I want to know. Well, she's old enough to call her plays. That's not the advice I'm paying for. Where'd you get the 50? It took a lot of saving. All right, give me his name. Louis Desmond. Gambler, card sharp, bookie, all-around con man. He's got a card room out toward Gardena someplace, the Five Aces Club. What does your daughter see in him? Oh, it's this place, the way we have to live. She's tired of having nothing. I've tried, but she's looking for a change. And taking a wrong turn. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, other girls have it real tough. They go to work. Uh, well, we had a little trouble in the family once. It shows up if someone starts looking. When can I talk to Georgia? Well, you'll have to work that out yourself, Mr. Regan. What does that mean? She put some clothes in a suitcase and left earlier this evening. That, that's why I had to call you so suddenly. Mm-hmm. Where'd she go? Louie is a real bum, Mr. Regan. You talk like you know him. We've met. I want to know just what's going on. If Louie's forcing her into anything crooked... She force easy? A fur coat makes a young girl do a lot of things. Yeah. Oh, here's a picture of her. You may need it. Mm-hmm. Not very good, but only one I've got. I'll make it work. That's about all, Mr. Regan. Get in touch with me as soon as you get something. Okay. Oh, Mr. Regan. Yeah. As you can tell, I'm the kind of person who sometimes gets hysterical over things, but I'm also the kind who demands results. You sound like a radio commercial. It was after midnight when I followed the fog out Vermont toward Gardena. The yellow lights were pressing, but they were doing about as much good as a pint of bourbon at a Shriners convention. I wound around the flatland for a while before the Five Aces Club turned up by a bend in the road. It looked like a blue wart with a neon sign. There was a front door and a back one and a couple of pairs of shoulders standing at each. A little guy in a pinstripe gray was figuring the size of the wallets going in. Louis Desmond's office showed at the top of the stairway and I moved for it. But a muscle looking down on six feet was playing front man. He put a knotted hand on my arm and when he spoke it sounded like a gear factory doing double time. Slow down, Pilgrim. The room you're looking for is the other way. Yeah, well, this one says office. That's the trouble with you guys who read. Can't take hints. Spell it out. Beat it. Not until I see Louis Desmond. What's your business? I'll tell it to him. You owe him some dough? No, I don't. Then he ain't interested. He will be. Listen, Junior, Come I Come on, get him off of me, Puck. What's all the noise, Patsy? Sightseer without a ticket. My name's Regan. Cup? Maybe. You want me to bounce him down the stairs, boss? Maybe. What do you want? Talk. That's always a waste of time. Not if it's about Georgia Bascom. Come on in. Never saw you around here before, Regan. No, I can't afford it. Oh, don't say that. Some people go out of here with more than they come in with. Yeah, you. (laughs) Guess you're right at that. Cigar? No, thanks. Well, what about Georgia, Regan? 
You tell me. That doesn't add. You came to see me. She's got a worried mother. They're all like that. Now, this one figures you're doing a little forcing. Oh. You'd know more about that. Give me a clue. Blackmail, maybe? <laughs> you're a kick. Arthur Godfrey'd love to get a hold of you. I come too high. Let me give you some good advice. Go home and pull a blanket over your head and say it's all a bad dream. You know, you talk a lot, mister, but you don't say much. What's the hold on Georgia? All right, wise guy. Honey. Come over here, baby. Regan, you know this girl? I've seen a picture. Georgia, this is a peeper named Regan. He come to rescue you. But what for, Mr. Regan? Fifty dollars. My mother gave you that to come and take me back? Something like that. But I can't go. Why not? Well. Go ahead. Show him, baby. Look, Regan. Three carrots. With a wedding band to match. On what dice table did you pick those Stop up? Stop the noise, Regan. Congratulate the lady. Not on a bad mistake. Listen, Shamus. Oh, never mind him, Louie. He doesn't matter. When did the first come? Louie said soon. Tell Mama we're married and not to worry. We're going away for a few days. And senora for some gambling and fishing. You won't enjoy it. Sure I will. You'll be in L.A. The alley behind the Five Aces Club hadn't been dusted in a week. My brown flannel suit fixed that. Well, I picked myself up and made it for the car. Moving north on Vermont, I tried to add a couple of things. There was a funny smell in Louie's office when I first walked in, like rope on fire. Somebody'd been there before me who smoked cubebs. Desmond worked on cigars. Georgia held a king-size pell-mell. Well, whoever it was still played it coy. About one o'clock, I started raising a small campaign with a lion's door knocker. His dream must have been a real good one because it took him ten minutes to get to the door. He was wearing a nightgown, and he looked like a poor imitation of the Fisk tire ad. All that was missing was the candle. Regan, I told you not to bother me until after 10 a.m. It's no bother. Get out of here, let a man sleep. Your dreams will be bad. What do you mean? You just lost a client. What's the matter, the money phony? Georgia Bascom married Desmond. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, think of something. Say you married her first. You're out of your mind. So it's a bad idea. Get a good one. Yeah, I already have. What is it? You give Mrs. Bascom her case back. Well, you can't do that. Try me. Think a minute, Regan. She's come to us for help. A lonely woman with no place to turn... And trusts her trouble to International. You got that 50 spent? It's not the money. It's the moral obligation. Oh, stop it, will you? You don't give blood anymore since you found out somebody paid for it. You're getting out of line. You're the only guy in town who can turn a shaving cut into a bankroll. That's enough. Well, let's do it this way. You go over to Mrs. Bascom and give her the lowdown. Let her decide if she wants you to carry on or not. You sure go to a lot of trouble for a 50. I need a lot of new stuff around the place. Well, it's close to Christmas. Right to Santa Claus. <laughs> I left the lion looking for a fountain pen and I drove out to Venice Boulevard in the Pierpont Hotel. The place still looked the same. A black Nash was parked up the block, a motor going. A couple of cats were doing a duet on a garbage can. I climbed the stairs to the second floor and I started down the hall for 210, walking real easy to keep the boards from creaking, but somebody else didn't care about the noise. There was a gun with a silencer working in Mrs. Bascom's room. I pushed the door in, but by then all I could hear was silence. The light showed an open window by the fire escape, and the wind was blowing the curtains. Mrs. Bascom lay face down on the bed, real still, and the holes in her blanket were turning wet. 
The lion really lost a client that time. Well, it didn't take Sanducci and the boys long to get there. The fingerprint man and the photographers went to work in the room. Sanducci picked me. He had a grouch on like a fat lady in an upper berth. What's the matter, Regan? You get lost? What do you mean? You're pretty far from home. Well, I get around. Who is she? Name's Eleanor Baskin. I know that. What's she do? Where's she come from? I don't know. What were you doing out here? She called in the lion. Her daughter ran off with Louis Desmond. Oh, he in it? How far? Ask him. Mrs. Baskin wants you to bring her daughter back. She wanted to know if the girl was moving into a racket. Was she? I haven't found out. <laughs> I should have known better than to ask a detective. Why didn't she call us? She was behind on her taxes. What do you do, Private? Sit up nights figuring ways to make my job harder? You through with me? No! Who killed her, Regan? I don't know. Bad choice of words. Go check a black Nash parked up the street. Got a license number? No, I haven't. Thanks a lot. Look, I'm no medium. I didn't know she was marked. Any other big ideas? A few. Well, keep them to yourself. They're all wrong. Now, get out of here. Yeah. Say, Santucci. Yeah? The lion can handle another client now. So what? Want to sign up? Well, I went home and slept. Coffee and warmed over biscuits at the drugstore took care of breakfast the next morning. Then I checked the phone book. Louis Desmond's home address turned up on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills, and so I drove out there. It was on a corner, a two-story colonial place with white pillars and green shutters. The doorbell sounded like a second chorus at the Hollywood Bowl. A Japanese maid let me in, and I waited in the ante room. That's when I caught that peculiar smell again. Somebody had just been there who smoked those Q-Beb cigarettes. Well, a couple of minutes later, a tall blonde fighting 30 stepped up to me. She smelled like she just crawled out of a bottle of platine. It was a bright morning, but she had the kind of look that had you wishing for an eclipse. Well, what do you want? Louis Desmond. Census taker? No. What's he done? I don't know yet. Where is he? I don't know where he is. He didn't come home last night. Lots of work at the office? <laughs> Card room out in Gardena. Lots of work out there? He didn't say. He doesn't tell me everything. Should he? Depends on what you think of your marriage vows. Who are you? His wife. Want a drink, mister? Sure. What'll it be? Yours. Bourbon. You pour. I don't know when to stop. All right. Here you go. Hmm? To marriage. It's a mess. Hmm. Cigarette? Never touch him. Interferes with my drinking. Who smokes the Q-Bebs? Is that what that stuff is? Yeah. That little guy walked in here looking for Louie and smelled up the place. Hiya, Stella. Oh, hello, Patsy. Just in time for a drink. Company? Yeah. Uh, what's your name, fella? He knows. You earn hard, don't you, Regan? What's going on? He's an eye. So what? So he gets a bounce. He's my friend. Beat it, Seamus, or I'll split you. Stay right where you are. This is my house, and I'll entertain who I want. With the boss's liquor? I've got some rights. Well, figure out what they are and try them on the boss. I don't like you, Patsy. Beat it, people. Get your paws off of me. Come on, get them off. Stop it, Patsy. You... Stop it, I said. Well, you hit him pretty hard, lady. No, I didn't. His head's soft. <laughs> Well, 
I left her picking up pieces of glass, and I drove back toward Hollywood. I was moving east on Sunset, trying to make some sense out of Desmond's domestic life, when I spotted that black sedan again. It was doing a real bad tag job on me. I pushed the pedal closer to the floor, but the sedan had better gas. It caught me going around a bend past Beverly Glen and started pushing me. It was a great place for a boulevard stop, but none showed. All it did was a reflection in my rearview mirror of the driver in the black sedan. It was feminine, and the voice spelled out Georgia Bascom. That's when she moved in for a closer look. Well, things were moving as fast as the last reel in a Western movie. The lion sent me out to see a lady who was having daughter trouble. Georgia Bascom had done a tie-in with a gambler named Louis Desmond. Only it looked real permanent. She was wearing his wedding ring, and the mother ended up carrying a couple of bullets and homicide moved in. That's when I met a blonde at Desmond's house who said she was Louis's wife. Well, I was working on the mess when a black sedan with Georgia at the wheel ran me off the road and the slugs began to fly. I peeled myself off the side of the hill and I got in touch with the police. Sanducci took over and invited me to headquarters for some more talk. He put me in a little room with pale green walls and sat behind a big desk chewing a dead cigar. He was taking me all in like a Hoover vacuum cleaner on a dirty rug. Well, how do you feel, Regan? All right. You shouldn't. Why not? Looks to me like from here on in you're a marked man. I'll get along. <laughs> It'll be real interesting to see how. All right, now look, have you got something to say? Maybe. Well, let's hear it. Relax, Regan. You're not going any place. You can't hold me. I was the one who got shot at. Well, that's enough. I'll work out a way to hold you for creating a disturbance. It won't work. Listen, you. The bullets we pulled out of your upholstery matched the ones in Mrs. Bascom. So what? So we figured she was knocked off because she knew something somebody didn't want said. We also figured that applies to you. Yeah, well, that gets you nothing. All right, Regan. Play it your way this time. You'll come running back when the heaters close in. Don't make book on it. Well, if you've got to get yourself knocked off, don't mess up our city streets. Yeah, I'll be real careful. Oh, and uh, wear a dark suit that save our morticians a little trouble. That all? Yeah, go on, be it if you Oh, Regan. Yeah? It buffeted tu padre. What's that mean? Your father's mustache. And that's the first portion of Jeff Regan, investigator with the gambler and his lady, from December 11th, 1948, starring Jack Webb. We'll get back to that in a moment. Lisa, I want to remind our listeners we have a website and a Facebook for this radio show. Want to tell them all about it? I would love to. It is Hollywood 360 Radio. Um, that is both our website and our Facebook page. Right. Right? So Hollywood360radio.com. Right. All right. Or just Hollywood360radio. You can check our Facebook page. We have our schedule on there each week. And we have a podcast of the show that goes up on the Monday after the broadcast. And in addition, we have a, a one-hour additional bonus hour in addition to the four-hour show. So it's a bonus in addition to the addition of the bonus? Exactly. Now you got, got it. it. No, it's perfectly uh, clear now to me. Good. Thank you very much. Excellent. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. And now, let's get back to Jeff Regan, investigator. Well, it was late afternoon by the time I walked out of headquarters. The sun was still working, but it was cold. 
The cab driver, with a lot of conversation, drove me to my place over on Taft. When I opened my front door, I smelled it again, those Q-Babs. A small face was sitting on my sofa sucking on him. It belonged to a guy who had to stand on a box to see over a fox terrier. When I shut the door behind me, he ground the cigarette into an ashtray and turned on a nervous look like a pig in a football factory. Your landlady let me in, Mr. Regan. I hope you don't mind. I have to talk to you. We met before. We did? I don't remember. Just me and your cigarettes. Huh? Oh. You mind if I smoke? You just finished one. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, so I did. May I have a drink then? Just a small one. All right. Thank you. I, I generally don't drink, but tonight I... Thank you. Now, I barely know where to begin. Well, you better figure it out. You haven't got much time. Yes, yeah. Well... Start with a name. Is that necessary? Yeah, it is. Loper. Max Loper. I'm a businessman. What kind? What kind? Uh, oh, furrier. Yeah, yeah, I'm a furrier, Mr. Regan. All sorts of furs. Ermines. Nice. Generally, I prefer sable, but it depends on the woman, you know? What does Georgia get? I beg pardon? Let it go. Yeah. I'm not the man I used to be, Mr. Regan. My fortunes have changed. Yeah, yeah, it changed. I I think I'd better have that cigarette. Save it for later and start making sense. Well, I need help. Why come to me? Well, Mrs. Bascom thought enough of you to ask you to help her. You, you see, I know Mrs. Bascom. That is, I knew Mrs. Bascom. Her death was so sudden. It was forced. Yeah, so the papers say. But, Mr. Regan, I want you to know I didn't do it. Who said you did? Well, nobody yet. But I didn't do it. Look, why tell me? There's nobody else I can tell. Try the police. No, no, no. That's what I can't do. I want you to prove to them that I wouldn't do a thing like that. Loper, what's your tie-in with Desmond? My... Desmond? Why? There, there is no tie-in. You were at his card room. I smelled your cigarettes there. You got nothing, I guess, and you went to his house. Mr. Regan, that's got nothing to do with it. I think different. But you're wrong. All wrong. Convince me. I didn't do the murder. That's what I want you to tell the police. Who did? I don't know. Well, now, I think you do. Come on, who killed George's mother? It, it was her stepmother who was killed. Give me some more. Oh, you, you got me all confused. I, I guess coming to you for help was a bad idea. Something was. I'll find somebody else who doesn't ask so many questions. I better go. No, no, not yet, little man. Uh, you got too many answers. Take your hands off me. Now, Mr. Regan, I never used one of these, but the theory is simple. Just pull the trigger. Well, if you can find it. Don't urge me. Open the door. Go on. Sure. Now step away. See you later, Mr. Regan. Hey, Loper. He made it to the staircase, and then the noise came. A couple of bullets flew up the spiral and caught him in the chest. He stopped in midair for a second like a yo-yo on a string, and then he toppled over and rolled down. By the time I got to him, he was all used up. Well, a call to homicide brought some of the boys out, and they took care of him. A fat guy with a head like a plunger took him pictures for a paper, and a girl with a leaky fountain pen got the story. It took about an hour and a half to clear my place. But the minute the crowd moved out, the lion moved in. He had a sheet of paper in one hand, and his face was lit up like an old maid at a cocktail party. This concerns Louis Desmond and Georgia Bascom. You interested? Yeah. Desmond's got a wife, and her name's not Georgia. No, it's Stella, and she's a ripe candidate for a drunk tank. What else do you know about her? She's jealous. Well, there's no record any place of a divorce or of a marriage between Georgia and Desmond. That whole setup's a phony. Tell me why. Georgia's father, name of Peter Bascom, was a furrier. And he was once in on a fur job with the same Louis Desmond. Go on. 
The old Bascom ended up with a bullet in him, and Louie with a pile of dough. How did it work? I can't find out everything. You gotta do something. You know a Max Loper? Never heard of him. You got an address on this, Georgia? The Arena Hotel, room 406, and Catalina off Wilshire. All right. The way I figured, an insurance company might be real interested to get hold of her. No, the gas chamber's got priority. We figured the swindled first. Collect the fat bonus, then let the city handle her any way it wants. Call me when you get it all sewed up. What are you going to be doing? Resting at home. I'm all worn out. Yeah, well, that figures. You've been doing a little thinking. The Lorena Hotel, six stories of plush carpet and gold paint. It was night when I got there and the neon was on. The buzzer brought the door open and Georgia Bascom stood there carrying an overcoat. She had her purse under her arm and it figured she was leaving. When she saw me, she turned on a surprised look. Oh, Mr. Regan. Moving out? Just a little errand. It'll keep. Shut the door. Now, see here. Well, that's a lot of nerve. Don't let it bother you. There are bigger things. Like what? A fur job you and Louie are working on. What are you talking about? And a little murder. Throw your purse on the sofa. I will not. Come on, lady. It's getting heavy. Now open the closet door. Come on. There. I hope you're satisfied. I'm not much on fashions. Read them to me. Three airmen, three sable. Ten thousand apiece? More. Max Lopers? Yeah. Well, you can't wear them all. You got a friend? I don't need one. All right, sis, what is it? Nothing. That's your version. You could be wrong. When'd you marry Desmond? Last week. Bad answer. He's got a wife named Stella. Bigamy will get him in trouble. Well, that's his problem. No, it's yours, too, if the courts can prove you knew. All right, I didn't marry him. Then why the wedding ring? Hey, you ask a lot of questions. Yeah, I do. Why don't you get out of here? Louie's not new on fur jobs. He knows how much work it is to palm him off. You're talking to yourself. Loper never got to outlive a double cross. What are you going to do with that? Nothing. Homicide will work it out. I didn't kill anybody. You'll work up a sweat proving it. Louie did it, honest. He killed my stepmother because she knew how the job worked. He gave it to Loper, too. He would... Hiya, friends. It must be raining. The worms are coming to the top. Hello, Louie. Regan's got it figured. I, I was just stalling him till you got here. Sure, Georgia. I know. Honest, Louie, honest. I, I didn't mean to say you did the knockoffs. I... We'll talk about it later. You better finish it now. You're not going to be around. We'll see. They got a spot all staked out for you up north. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Regan, I got a set of instructions for you. I want you to be real nice and follow them. What's in it for me? <laughs> you kill me, Seamus. I'm holding all the cards. You want to rake in the pot. I, I better get going, Louie. We shouldn't be seen together right now. Uh, slow down, baby. I got something for you, too. But, Louie, I... <laughs> Big mouth. Don't do it! Big mouth! Look, you, you didn't have to hit her more than once. She got off easy. Everybody's got 32 teeth. Desmond moved us out of the apartment and down the hall. Georgia was beginning to sob, but Desmond wasn't impressed. He held the gun under his coat and walked behind us careful, like an elephant on a crate of eggs. The button brought the elevator, and the three of us went in. And then it started down. When the door swung open on the first floor, a whiff of bourbon came floating in, packing a 32. Louis turned white. Stella. Stella. I told him if he kept messing around, he was going to have trouble at home. Want to give me the gun? No. What's your name, girlie? Georgia. Were you in love with Louie? I... I don't know. Well, go find out. 
You want it now, Regan? It's empty. You know, lady, you fixed nothing. What do you mean? Where you're going, you'll all be together again. Well, it was all over fast, like a dollar dinner. The coroner's office sent out some boys for Georgia and Louie, and Sanducci picked up Stella. Desmond had himself a pretty good thing. Do a tie-in with a furrier and move the furs across the border with nobody making a fuss. Oh, it was slow work, but 10000 a week's pretty good pay, and it was real safe. Loper wasn't going to say the furs were even stolen until they were turned into money. Of course, he never got to say it at all. Everything would have been all right if Stella didn't see green every time Louis saw blonde. Well, the insurance company thanked us for what we did to expose the fraud. The lion was unhappy. He said they should have shown their gratitude with something more lasting. They gave it to him. A 1949 pocket calendar. Jack Webb is featured as Jeff Regan with Herb Butterfield as Anthony J. Lyon. It's CBS at the same time next week for more hard-boiled action and mystery with Jeff Regan, Investigator. Written by Larry Roman, produced by Sterling Tracy. Included in tonight's cast were Mary Lansing, Marvin Miller, Pat McGeehan, Lorette Philbrandt, Jack Petruzzi, Yvonne Patey, and Sidney Miller. Original music for this program is by Milton Charles. Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Jeff Regan, investigator from December 11, 1948, with The Gambler and His Lady, starring Jack Webb. Also in the cast, Herb Butterfield, Marvin Miller, and Mary Lansing, with Bob Stevenson doing the announcing, is heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that good, hard-boiled detective adventure. And um, I know that's how you like your eggs. Hard-boiled. Same way, yeah. That's funny. That's probably one of the only ways I won't eat them. You won't eat no. eggs hard-boiled? No. Why not? I, I like a good omelet. That's about it. Really? You like a scrambled <laughs> egg omelet? Exactly. Veggie omelet, exactly. probably, right? You got it. Knowing you. You know, I went and had a uh, a manicure the other day because... Because uh, you're fancy. Well, because I'm um, kind of a dandy. <laughs> and the uh, woman said, wow, look at how nice your skin is for someone who is you know, a mature man. And I had, well, and mature I, is debatable. And I, <laughs> and I said, you know what? My skin used to really be kind of flaky and, um, I don't know, kind of wrinkly and everything and dry. And so I told her about Epizen. And we went right online and started talking about it. She went online and checked it out because... She has, you know, obviously a lot of clients that have uh, the same problem that I right. had with my my skin on my hands. And she was like, wow. And I told her, it, it, it's night and day since I've been using Epizen. And this is a product, folks, that uh, we endorse here on Hollywood 360. Lisa uses it, or actually your husband uses it, right? My daughter uses it as oh, well. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. And I use it, and then Mike uses it for a variety of things. Because this... this uh, this uh, Epizen product really helps a lot of things wrong with your skin. What it, it does provide is pharmaceutical-grade relief for itchy skin, dry skin, irritated skin, and it helps a whole host of issues. It treats conditions like wounds and scarring. My daughter uses it for her acne. She's 16, oh, to be a teenager. Right. My husband uses it for his eczema. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can use it for bug bites, for cold sores, for herpes, canker sores, diaper rash, really across the board. And shingles. And I know a and lot of people shingles. suffer from shingles. That it is, helps that a lot. Right. And, and we have, I was going to say, we have a special promotion just for our Hollywood 360 listeners. And we want to let them know that if they go to the website, which is epizin.com, that's E-P-I-Z-Y-N.com, they can they can put in code radio and receive $10 off and free shipping. So right. this is our very limited time special offer. Right. And not only that, if for some strange reason this product does not work for you, which we haven't had even one person. Nope. Not one person has said that this has not worked. They've, they've been super, super happy with it. Everyone that's been uh, ordering it. And here's the thing. If it doesn't work for you, if you're the first person, let's say, that it doesn't work for, you get your money Refunded, 100%, no questions asked, and it's a great offer. So go to epizin.com and check out this offer and um, take advantage of it. Get $10 off. Just put in the code RADIO, free shipping, and money-back guarantees. Yeah, give check it a it try. Out. We're yeah. pretty sure that you're going to be thrilled. Uh, I know they will. All right, so thanks, Lisa. Let's tune this in now. Jack Benny, this is a program going back to December 3rd, 1944. His special guest is Walter Winchell. Let's tune it in. Here's part one of the Jack Benny program. Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Larry Stevens, and yours truly, Don Wilson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a man whose name for years has been the epitome of show business. A man who went from Waukegan to vaudeville. From vaudeville to radio. From Broadway to pictures. From pictures to Broadway. And now, since he has no place else to go, (laughs) would you please let him come into your home for just a half hour? (laughs) Thank you. And here he is, Jack Benny. Thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking. And kids, you're absolutely right. I have been in show business a long time. Why, when I was playing the Palace Theater in New York, Nelson Eddy didn't even have the recipe for shortening bread. (laughs) In fact, when I first started in show business, Charlie McCarthy was taking his physical to get into Sequoia. (laughs) Why I was in front of an audience... Hey, wait a minute, Jackson. Don't overdo it. If you want to know something, I was in show business before you was. What? I was in front of an audience when I was two days old. Two days old? Well, that's ridiculous. Certainly. What could you do when you were two days old? I don't know, but people kept paying admission to see me. <laughs> oh, Phil. Stop making up such nonsense, Phil. I ain't making nothing up. I was a Nicky baby baiter. <laughs> you were what? Oh, I mean I was a Nicky baiter baby. Yes, sir, that was me. Two and a half pounds of solid personality. <laughs> Oh, sure, sure. See, Phil, I've often wondered about those incubators. Must have been nice and warm in a glass case with a little gas light burning underneath. Nah, first I was hot, then I was cold, then I was hot, then I was cold. Well, I'm a sucker for asking this, but why were you hot and cold and hot and cold? His father kept blowing out the flame and his mother kept lighting it. (laughs) Mary, don't be ridiculous. That's exactly what happened. Phil, you admit that your father kept blowing out the flame and your mother kept lighting it? Yes, and it was a lucky thing I could reach up to that little glass door. Why? Who do you think kept handing my mother the matches? (laughs) 
Now, wait a minute, Phil. You were two days old in an incubator. Where in the world did you get the matches? The day I was born. What? When the doctor grabbed me by the feet and held me up, I stole them out of his vest pocket. <laughs> oh. And he must have seen me do it because he gave me an awful whack. <laughs> Oh, for a heaven's sake. Phil, you were just born. How can you remember what happened then? I wrote it in my diary. <laughs> well, that's the payoff, Phil. You can't even write now. How could you write when you were two days old? Maybe he dictated it. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. <laughs> Sorry, did you ever hear such silly talk? Phil, Phil was just born already. He was dictating. I'll bet eight to five he had the stenographer on his lap. Hey, Phil? That's, That's exactly, exactly what happened. <laughs> then you don't have to invent a, a fantastic story just to make it sound like you've been in show business longer than I have. Maybe he was, Jack. Don, that's impossible. I was in show business before anybody. Why, I was on the stage before... before Monty Woolley had a beard. Before Monty Woolley had a beard? Yes. Why, when I was a big hit at the palace, Woolley was still standing in front of a mirror, rubbing his chin and singing, Come out, come out wherever you are. <laughs> I'm telling you, kids, I've been in show business longer than anybody. Oh, yeah? How about C. Aubrey Smith? You mean little Aubrey? <laughs> Why, he was only a kid when I was starting out of it. Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes? I'm from Esquire Magazine. We printed a story about you and have all the information in our files except one thing. Uh, what would you like to know? Your age, please. 36. <laughs> but, well, okay... Now, uh, now, where were we? Well, you were informing us that you were a thespian in the legitimate drama prior to the inauguration of the cinema. <laughs> Bill, did that come out of you? Yes, and boy, am I glad to get rid of it. <laughs> well, I don't blame you. Now, let's forget show business and find out... Hello, if we Mr. Can... Benny. Oh, hello, Larry. Say, so you got here just in time for your song. What are you going to sing? Well, I got a letter from a friend of mine in the Navy requesting me to sing I'm Making Believe. A friend of yours in the Navy? Who is he? Dennis Day. Oh, Dennis. A letter from Dennis? Would you like to read it, Miss Livingston? Why, Larry, I don't think I should read your mail. Oh, that's all right. There's nothing about girls in it. <laughs> Go ahead, read it, Larry. Yeah, we haven't heard from Dennis in weeks. What's he got to say? Well, here it is. Dear Larry, I heard you sing on the last four broadcasts, and I think you have a swell voice. Well, isn't that nice? I also heard that you're making $22.50 a week, which is a very good salary to start with. Yes, sir. <laughs> Mr. Benny will give you a raise almost every year, but it will help to have your mother come down and remind him. <laughs> Especially if she's as big as my mother. Hmm. However, Larry, when you... <laughs> what are you laughing at? When you reach $35 a week, there's no use reminding Mr. Benny anymore because nobody's mother can help you then. <laughs> Dennis always was a car, wasn't he? Yeah. Best wishes always, Dennis Day. Anyway, Larry, come in. Yes? Mr. Benny, I'd, I'd like to try it again. <laughs> again? I'm from Esquire Magazine. We printed a story about you and have all the information in our files except one thing. Well, what would you like to know? Your age, please. I told you I'm 36. Look, Mr. Benny, this information isn't going to be printed. It's only for our private files. I don't care what it is for. I'm 36. But, 
Well, okay. <laughs> what a persistent guy. I mean, why doesn't he believe that I'm 36? Uh, maybe he was at breakfast at Sardi's the day you won the orchid. <laughs> No, if he'd have been there, I'd have seen him. <laughs> now, as I, as I was saying, Larry... Yes, Mr. Benny? Larry, as the years go by, you'll have your ups and downs. Sometimes it'll be easy, other times it'll be hard. But no matter what happens, just remember those immortal words of John Paul Jones. Don't give up the ship. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen... Jack, I'm not even going to argue with you today. Well, Don, I'm glad you finally see it my way. And now, ladies and gentlemen... I don't see it your way at all. It was Captain James Lawrence who said, don't give up the ship, but I just don't want to argue about it. Well, neither do I, but it was John Paul Jones. For your information, Don, Captain James Lawrence said, go west, young man, go west. <laughs> so there. What are you talking about? It was Horace Greeley who said that. Horace Greeley? Yes, Phil. Well, how could he say it? Horace Greeley's a statue in West Lake Park. <laughs> Well, I'm better off if you're on Don's side. Now, Larry, you forget everything that was said and listen to me. Yes, Mr. Benny. As I told you before, even though you may have your ups and downs, always remember those immortal words of John Paul Jones. Don't go west in a ship. I mean, don't... Don't give up the west. I mean, the ship. Don't give up the ship. Which was said by Captain James Lawrence. Now, Don Wilson, if you say that once more, there's going to be trouble. It was Captain James Lawrence. Well, you ask for it. Hold my coat, Mary. What are you going to do? I'm going to put it on. I'm going home. <laughs> Don Wilson knows so much, let him run the program himself. Goodbye. Jack, Jack, come back. I'm going home, and that settles it. And that's the first portion of the Jack Benny program from December 3rd, 1944. Jack and all his gang, special guest Walter Winchell. We'll tune into part two of that on our next hour of Hollywood 360. Let's take a break, and then it's more. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. All right, Lisa, on our next hour of Hollywood 360, we'll have the conclusion to the Jack Benny program. Then, Alan Ladd stars as mystery writer Dan Holliday on another Box 13 adventure. I know our listeners will love that. Will you be here for that show? I'll think about it. All right, we'll see you on our next program. <laughs> 